So if you're just joining us, we've been in a series where we've been dealing with emotions, the things that we like to pretend that we don't have, but they're really there, and we like to stuff them down. And uh, so we've been dealing with this because we genuinely believe that if you look at America today, really our society, our world, we're dealing with a mental health crisis. And the truth is, um, if the church doesn't start addressing it now, we're going to be in a bad spot. Um, how many of you know just people are dealing with things emotionally? They're dealing with anxiety, they're dealing with depression, they're dealing with worry, they're dealing with fear. We're dealing with all these things. And oftentimes, specifically in the church, we've been told that you don't need to feel those things. Just push them down, shove them aside. And uh, so here's what we've said. You cannot be spiritually mature and emotionally immature. They don't go together. Um, you cannot pursue God how you want to and still remain emotionally immature. Um, the truth is emotions should be indicators because emotions actually reveal, and, and this is what we've been talking about through the entire series, they actually reveal our struggle with God. Like our anger actually says something about us. Our anxiety, our depression, our fear, it's actually trying to tell us something. And so we're trying to be aware of those things. Um, but today I want to talk about an emotion that we all deal with. Now, I know throughout this series, we've talked about depression, we've talked about anxiety, and I know that there's probably people genuinely in those, this room who have never felt those emotions. So you say, how does some of this stuff apply to me? So I decided to take a topic today that regardless of who you are, you deal with this topic. The emotion that I want to talk about this morning is anger. Anger. How many of you have ever dealt with some anger? <laughs> How many of you have ever felt like justified for your anger? You feel that you have a reason to be angry and everybody else should understand why you're angry. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So here's what I'm going to do. I've never done this before, but I'm going to preach a sermon where I'm only going to give you one part of it and I'm going to preach part two next week. Because what I want to do is I want to preach, I want to talk about dark anger. I want to talk about unrighteous anger first, okay? Because I think that's probably where most of us land. Um, and then next week, we'll talk about holy anger, a good type of anger. And I know what some of you are thinking. You're like, oh, mine is good. I am telling you right now, my anger is good. Um, most likely, it's going to fall in the first category. So we have to address this one first before we move to the second one. But let's first define what anger is. Anger is simply our response when we feel attacked. When somebody does something unjust to us, we want to respond out of anger, right? Anger happens when something has been done to us by someone or something that gets in the way of what we want. So we get angry. Another way to put it would be like this. We get angry when someone or something interferes with our satisfaction, when something or someone interferes from us getting what we want. So the best way that I can describe this is let me give you an example. Let's say you're running late for work, okay? And you've already calculated in your mind, okay, I got to hop on the interstate. I got a 20-minute commute. So if I do about 10 miles faster than I normally do, if I don't hit any red lights, and if nobody cuts in front of me, I'll be on time. So your plan is going flawlessly, right? You, you buzz through all the lights. You maybe even blow through a few stop signs. Are there any policemen in here? If you do that, you're thinking that you can get there. And then all of a sudden you get on the interstate. Boom, one car pulls in front of you and they're always going about 20 miles below the speed limit. 
Anybody know what I'm talking about? And all of a sudden, you're only like 20 feet from the exit. And so now you start cursing everything around you. You start cursing, well, if I would have got up earlier, then I wouldn't have been late. Maybe you have some kids in the car and they're loud. So you start yelling at them. The reason I'm late is because y'all are driving me crazy and I'm frustrated. You start cursing the Louisiana road systems. If there wasn't potholes in these awful roads, I would have drove faster. We start blaming everyone and everything around us. Why? Because something or someone has interfered with us getting what we want. It is interfering with our satisfaction. Therefore, we get angry. We get angry because ultimately we get blocked from getting what we want, and it forces us to wait, and waiting only intensifies anger. (laughs) Nobody in here would say, I just love to wait. I've seen some of you. I've just sat in the back at like fast food lines and you're like, what is going on? I've been waiting here for like 30 seconds and I don't have my meal yet, right? We hate waiting. We despise waiting because waiting shows us that we're not moving towards what we want. Ultimately, waiting intensifies our pain and it reminds us that we're dependent creatures, That oftentimes to get what we really want sometimes relies on other people falling in line, right? We hate waiting because waiting implies that our life is out of control and we can't control it right there in that moment. We don't like waiting because we're not in control. We don't like waiting because the car in front of us is keeping us from being in control. It's keeping us from keeping up appearances and being on time. Let me give you another example. Imagine you're headed towards the checkout line. You're getting ready to pay for your meal. You're starving. You're hungry. You need to eat. You go to walk up. You're about to give them their card, and somebody cuts in front of you. (laughs) And all of a sudden, this is what happens. You go, they don't understand how hungry I am. They don't understand. I was here first. The person that cut in line begins begins to become the object of your anger. And usually the people that cut in line reach inside of their purse and they pull out 18 billion coupons and only two of them work. (laughs) Right? And they're like, I'm sure there's one in here that I can use somewhere. And you're just sitting there. And the longer you wait, you begin to grow with this anger, right? You begin to erupt, you begin to smolder. The peculiar thing about anger is oftentimes you don't even know it's there until you blow. See, uh, anger is a lot like a geyser. You're like, man, this is pretty cool. And then all of a sudden something triggers you and you blow up. And you begin to burn everybody around you, right? And then you go, where, where did that come from? Here's what I want to challenge you in this morning is that it's not random. You don't just blow up because you just blew up and something triggered you. Something triggered the anger that's been stuffed in you for a long time and you blew up because you've been pushing it all down. So our anger is an indicator of something that we're wrestling with, something that is keeping us from getting what we want. Waiting intensifies our anger. And every true assault involves some sort of injustice. Right? We get angry because we feel like something unjust has been done to us. We get angry when we've been wrong. 
We get angry when people gossip about us. We get angry when lies have been spread. The greater the injustice, the angrier we ought to feel. And we'll talk about this next week. Like some anger is good. When you read the newspaper and you hear of another child that has been shot in a gang shooting, you should be angry. When you flip on the TV and you see kids dying of starvation across the world just because they simply couldn't get a meal, that should anger you. There, there's a healthy way that we get angry and think where we can use that and harness that because ultimately sometimes our anger teaches us that we should be angry towards our sin and fighting it off. But let's be honest, most of us are not there. Most of us are angry because of something that happened to us in the past. I've said this all throughout the series. Some of us are living the life that we're living now because we simply never healed from childhood. We have wounds that we've pushed down, things that we've suppressed, things that we've never dealt with. And this is why at 30 years old, 40 years old, 50 years old, all of a sudden anxiety hits you and you go, where is that coming from? Why am I so angry all the time? You have years of compression that you've been pushing down. Listen to the voice of David, who is full of anger about an injustice that has been done to him. This is Psalms 109. My God, whom I praise, do not remain silent. For people who are wicked and deceitful have opened their mouths against me. You ever been there? People have opened their mouths and they're spreading things that aren't true. This is what he's saying. They have spoken against me with lying tongues, with words of hatred. They surround me. They attack me without cause. Now, This seems like a reasonable complaint, right? People were saying things about him. He's frustrated. He's angry. Now watch what he says to God. Appoint someone evil to oppose the enemy. I made a joke about it in the first sermon, but every like sanctified Christian believer needs a friend who is not saved and is willing to curse somebody out for you, right? (laughs) Hey, bro, I really can't do that but you just handle your business, you know. (laughs) This is what David is saying. Appoint someone evil to oppose my enemy. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is tried, let him be found guilty. He goes further and may his prayers condemn him. May his days be few. May another take his place of leadership. Now watch this. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children be wandering beggars. May they be driven from their ruined homes. This is in the Bible. (laughs) He's angry. God killed them. (laughs) They're lying about me. They're spreading false things about me. Like, God, I just pray, oh, holy God, that you would allow the fires of hell to fall upon them. So David was not only angry, but he wants vengeance. How many know in our anger, we usually don't want to sit in our anger, but we want to pay somebody back. We want vengeance. Oh, you made me feel that way? So we sit back and we plan and we scheme. The next time I see that person, just wait. And we know the perfect thing to say that's going to set them off, that's going to wound them, that's going to hurt them. Hopefully it's going to make them angry. But can an angry heart that prays for harm also be a good heart? God designed and blessed anger in order to energize our passion to destroy sin. 
Like when we do the things that we don't want to do, that we look at that and that frustrates us and we go, man, I got to do better. When we look at the certain injustices in the world, we look at the foster system and kids that aren't being taken care of and you look at kids across the world that are hungry, really kids in your own backyard. It's funny, people want to go, they always want to go across Africa to help hurting children. They're literally right next door to you. So those are things that should energize our anger and make us frustrated. But let's talk about unrighteous anger this morning. We'll talk about righteous anger next week. Unrighteous anger is a demand for justice now. A demand for justice now. We don't want to wait for it. We're not going to wait. We're not going to, God, I know that you, you get revenge on my enemies, but guess what? I want this one. I want this one. I want to take revenge. Dan Allender put it this way. Unrighteous anger is a dark energy that demands for the self a more tolerable world now instead of waiting for God's redemption according to divine design and timing. So God says, I'll pay them back in my own timing. And we go, but God, I like my timing (laughs) Because they hurt me, and I want to hurt them back now. So I want to talk about four things that unrighteous anger does. The first one is unrighteous anger suppresses choice, specifically for the people that are closest to you. Now, the best way that I can explain this is to give you an example. The other day, I'm driving all my kids to school in the van, and I've got two arguing over candy, One was mad because I took his phone because he was at 10 o'clock at night, had his covers over him, and he's watching movies. (laughs) So give me that phone, bro. So one's arguing over candy. One is arguing over the phone. And another is arguing, who's smarter? Oh, yeah, spell it, (laughs) you know? I got Caroline, who's one. She's screaming. Tim, who's sitting, he's just singing. He's enjoying life. He's the happiest kid on the planet. I'm like, how is this bro singing in the midst of such chaos? So I'm thinking there's only two things I can do, drive the van off of the road or scream. (laughs) So I shout, are y'all really this immature? (laughs) And in that moment, I want you to watch what happens. I change the entire environment. And in that moment, I took their freedom away. Because all of a sudden, I could feel it. Everybody shrinks down in the van. (gasps) Dad's about to lose it. He's about to kill somebody, right? In an instant, I could feel everyone shrink in their seats. There was an atmosphere that invoked fear. They no longer felt that they could speak. Why? They were no longer free in that moment. Because unrighteous anger suppresses choice. They felt shamed, and they felt vulnerable to attack. Unrighteous anger has the ability to set the tone and suppress choice. Have you, un- have you ever wondered why people aren't honest with you? They're not honest with you because they don't feel safe with you. They don't tell you the truth because they always have to weigh out how your reaction is going to be. So people stop telling you the truth because they're afraid of your response. So this is why we have children that live like, oh my God, I gotta, like, is dad okay? Is mom okay? I'm just gonna tiptoe around. I don't know what's going on. Could it be that your unrighteous anger is suppressing the choice of people around you? 
And the only reason it's suppressing the choice is because you're not living with satisfaction. They're not giving you what you think you want and need. So you have to control, which leads me to point two. Unrighteous anger consumes others. Unrighteous anger attempts to control the choices of others especially when we believe the choice is essential to our well-being. So this is what unrighteous anger does. We blow up in anger. And why are we so angry? Because we just want everybody else to be like us. We're frustrated with our spouse. We're frustrated with our children because they don't do things the way that we would do it. So we're angry because it's not how we would do it. So if we're really honest with ourselves, the world would be a better place if people would just think like us. So you have your spouse, you're like, we'd, just, we'd get along a whole lot better if you would just come over to my world and think the way that I think. So let me give you another example. I came home the other day, and my wife, she sent me a picture. She said, Peter learned how to ride his bike. I was like, there's no way. Like, she just took the training wells off, and literally in three or four times, the brother was riding his bike. I mean, apparently, he's just born to ride a bike. His bike is also one of his most prized possessions. And God help any other kid that tries to ride it. So the other day, I'm in the kitchen, and I see Peter riding his bike. He throws it down. He comes inside to go to the bathroom, and I see Amelia pick up his bike. I'm like, whoo, she's about to get it. And it literally, when he saw her on that bike, it's like his whole world came crashing down. He began to erupt. It's mine! I mean, he is willing to hit, bite, do whatever he has to do to get her off of that bike. Unrighteous anger possesses others in a means to feel our own emptiness so that we can get what we want. We justify our efforts to consume and validate. You ever get angry and you go, well, you know what? It, it's righteous. What's well, right for me to feel this way. Those that consume others with their anger, listen to what the Psalm says about us. They return at evening, snarling like dogs and prowl about the city. They wander about for their food and they howl if they're not satisfied. So unrighteous anger, the, the type that consumes others, compa- compares us to dogs that walk around going, who can I consume now? This is Dan Allender again. He says it this way. Unrighteous anger condemns any who stand in its way. <laughs> My son is snoring on this row. It's hard. Unrighteous anger condemns any who stand in its way. Righteous anger desires to bless to fill life, listen to me, rather than drain it. If you're constantly saying, man, I don't know why people don't want to hang out with me. I don't know why I don't have any friends. Ask yourself this question. Am I giving life to people or am I draining it? How many know nobody wants to be around somebody that drains life from them? So if you're not careful and we live in this unrighteous anger of consuming others, we become so focused to leeching on to people that we drain the life out of them. Isaiah again offers this in 821. He says, distressed and hungry, they'll roam through the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged. Meaning when they don't get what they want, 
their anger burns within them. Number three, unrighteous anger condemns others. Condemns others. The way I put it is this. Unrighteous anger always harbors the hatred of Cain. It kills to make someone pay for the exposure and the pain that they're dealing with. You ever have somebody expose you? You ever like talk yourself up to be this awesome person and then you get around a crowd and like your wife is there and she goes, you're not that great. And maybe she doesn't say it like that, but she immediately exposes how you've talked yourself up. And then everybody in that moment, everybody realizes you're an imposter. What do you do in that moment? You're like, you know what? Just thank you so much for exposing me in front of everybody. You don't do that. Thankfully, my wife doesn't do that. You don't do that. What do you do? You get angry. I can't believe you just exposed me in front of everyone. See, when you feel exposed by other people, the only thing that you know how to do in that moment if you're harboring unrighteous anger is to condemn somebody. I was reading a book, some counts of different counselors, and he said one of the most bizarre cases that he had is a teenage boy recently died in a shooting. And this is the reason he died. He died because he looked another driver in the eye at a traffic light. So the counselor asks him, he said, why did you shoot him? And the killer said, he dissed me, he had to die. Unrighteous anger wants to destroy. The anger inside of us wants to destroy. A better way to put it would be this. When you feel weak, even when you feel beaten, when you've lost the argument, when you've been exposed in your pain, because you feel vulnerable, because you feel weak about yourself in that moment, the only way that you can appear strong before everybody is to start shouting and screaming, to start condemning others, to make other people feel weak so that you can have the appearance of strength. If we're brutally honest, we're not only angry at others, but we're angry at God. And let me explain. Apparently, he made other people smarter than us. More lovely, more intelligent. Apparently, he doesn't dispense talent equally. You ever looked at somebody and just go, man, how are you so smart? Or why are you so gifted? And I, I can barely tie my shoe. You get frustrated and angry at God. Like you have this person who has these gifts. And you're like, God, what did you give me? Why are they so gifted and I'm not? Here's the lie that you have to be careful of. When you feel less than, your anger is going to force you to condemn others. When you feel less than, when you feel like God shortchanged you, when you feel like somebody's better than you, more educated than you, more gifted than you, more talented than you, your anger is going to tell you, condemn them, don't celebrate them. And oftentimes, here's what happens, because we harbor this anger so much, and we're so envious of everybody else's giftings and talents, we never discover what our own is. Because we're always looking at everybody else and what we can't be. And we never take the time to figure out the giftings and talents that God has given us. The fourth one, unrighteous anger is a battle against God. The 
core of unrighteous anger is a hatred of vulnerability and a love of control. We don't want to be vulnerable, and we don't like to be out of control. And when God steps in our life, truly, and wants to set us free, we have to do two things. We have to give up control, and we have to be vulnerable. (laughs) So if we're honest, our unrighteous anger is this battle between God saying, "I'm, I'm trying to just help you and set you free. Psalms 2 describes the motivation of foolish anger. In Psalms 2, verse 1 through 3, it says this. Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against the anointed, saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. So here's the question. Why do people of this world rage? Why do we get so angry? Here's what's crazy. We actually get angry because we want to be free of our chains. And we believe that moving toward our own satisfaction is going to break those chains. Therefore, we get angry. Go, no, no, God, if I have this, I'll no longer be enslaved. I'll no longer be chained. We want to cut loose and do as we desire. We don't want the restraints and we don't want God's rules. But ultimately, unrighteous anger is a hammer that tries to break the bond between our connection with our creator. But here's the good news. You may rage against other people. You may rage against God. And you may even expect him to rage against you. But instead, his perfect son paid the wrath that we could not. Here's what's crazy. You ever gotten in an argument with somebody screaming, yelling, and they usually feel like compelled to scream and yell back. But have you ever been in that argument where they won't fight you? And you're just like, fight me, right? Yell at me, say something. See, God is not like the people that we have altercations with. We could yell, we could scream. We could have all these different things. He's saying, The wrath has already been taken care of. The anger that you have towards the situation in me has already been paid for. Like my son took on all of that. So I I just want to challenge you this morning that could it be that the things that you're feeling deep inside, the anger that you have about a particular situation, some of it may be just, some of it might be a holy, righteous anger, But others of it may be an indicator that there's something in our soul that is not being satisfied with the grace and the mercy and the love of God. Because your anger is an indicator that something inside is going on. Your worry is an indicator that something inside is going on. Whatever your emotions are trying to tell you is an indicator of something. And here's what it's indicating. It's God trying to connect with you in a deeper way. It's God saying, we, and I said, shared this last week, it's like God saying, we've got to get out of the shallow water. Let's go in the deep. Oh God, I'm comfortable in the shallows. I want to stay right here. And he's like, I know you're comfortable, but you're not going to get from me what you need when the next season comes. Listen, the reason that so many of us are angry and frustrated at God because we feel like this whole Christian thing isn't working is because we're staying in the shallows. And God's saying, listen, It can't be a 40-year-old 
person and still operating out of a 15-year-old mindset. So here's what God's calling us into this morning. He's saying, listen to me. The stuff that you've dealt with in childhood, the stuff that you've shoved down, the injustices that have been done to you, the situation that you've wanted to forget, the situation that you've tried to drown out, the situation that you've tried to drink away, the situation that you tried to medicate out of existence. God's saying, let's deal with it. Let's deal with it. And he's not saying let's deal with it so that he can wound you. He's not saying let's deal with it so that he can crack open a piece of your life that you don't want to revisit. Is it going to be painful? Absolutely. But I promise you it's going to be worth it. Because here's what happens. When you start dealing with the stuffed emotions, chain by chain by chain, God starts setting you free. And all of a sudden you begin to go, man, this is the way that God intended life to be. God's intent for you is not to stay shackled in your shame. His intent for you is not to stay stuck in your anger and your frustration. He's saying, I made a way for that through my son.